Good morning, everybody. Let me just get this straight. Is this is this okay? Okay, good. Thank you. So kneel with bow with prayer and with me. As we direct our hearts to you, Lord Yahweh, direct us in the way of your statues so that we can keep your way to the end. As we open our minds to you, make us understand so that we can keep your Torah and observe it with our whole heart. As we choose to follow you, make us walk in the path of your commandments for we delight in your paths. As we incline our hearts to you, incline our hearts to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. For we long for your precepts and to live in your righteousness. Amen. So today I'm going to actually doing the second half of the sermon I gave on July 9th. That's the benefit of doing things sequentially, I guess. And uh, as we are going through the Gospel of Matthew, the lectionary readings in the Gospel of Matthew, I think it's really helpful to think about Matthew's Gospel um, as a manual for discipleship. So maybe we could have the next slide up. Um, when we were doing the series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Ian Henderson said that it's a helpful way to think about Matthew, and I found that good. But I think manual is a bit reductionistic. It sounds like there's a step-by-step a -step thing, and I don't know if you've noticed, but I don't exactly see that in the Bible. And uh, I think the disi word discipleship is a bit kind of churchy, so I'm, I'm using the word apprentices. So, so this means people who are serious learners and are learning from somebody. So Matthew as a guidance for apprentices for Jesus. And today I also want to make the point that it's for a community of apprentices. So at this point in Matthew's portrayal of the life of Jesus, he's gotten to this kind of place where he's doing some teaching to his apprentices and they're kind of having to cope with the fact that he's a little bit more than they had initially thought he might be. He's more than just a an amazing rabbi or even a prophet like he's doing things that are kind of out of the box and the religious leaders who are looking at him they're not exactly what they expected either so in chapter 11 we heard the the question coming from john the baptist this kind of desperate need to know are you the one or should we expect someone else and we also heard this contrasted with the, the way that the religious religious leaders were questioning him about who are you and how do you fit into our system? And um, the readers in Matthew, you know, they were, um, they, they were sort of discovering Jesus. We as readers of Matthew then and now, we know the end of the story, but we're still coming. I think that that question is still important for us. And um, so the next, I just wanna put up our verse for today as we, as we do that. So I don't know if you read the whole, when you read Matthew and uh, Matthew in this space, this invitation feels like a little bit like a non sequitur, kind of, whoa, what's that doing there? It's like the hair in this the famous French hair in the soup, you know? But in fact, it's because sometimes we read this with Western eyes, they expect like a, a hypothesis, an argument and a conclusion. But in fact, the Eastern eyes has presented this as two parallel ways of thinking about who Jesus is, 
with the crux of it all being at the middle. So this kind of is the hinge of the whole thing. So I want us to hear this today in the context of this kind of sobering place that the disciples are at, and I think that many of us are at, but also hearing it as the crux of the matter for us. So today we're going to talk about the invitation of come. We're going to say, who is the invitation for? We're going to look at the offer of rest briefly, and then the offer of a easy, easy yoke. So the context of this is a, a kind of the sober tone is where people are trying to figure out who Jesus is. But I want you to hear Jesus' invitation with the tenderness that I think it was intended. So listen to this as a tender invitation. And I love also the message, the version from the message, which really seems to capture that, the tenderness of that tone up there. And I also want to hear the echo of the scripture we had read in Isaiah. You know, this was uh, spoken to a people who were coming out of exile, who had endured kind of what they felt was an isolation or an alienation from God. And now this is the invitation that says, come, you thirsty, come to the waters. Come without money and buy milk and wine, buy sustenance and joy. And it's, um, it's this sense of when we come to God and we just realize that our sins have been forgiven. Psalm 32, blessed is the one whose offenses are forgiven, whose guilt is not imputed to them from the Lord Yahweh. So here we are today as followers who are looking at Jesus and coming increasingly to a realization of who he is and what it means to follow him, that there are some costs. We heard some courageous sermons from Dan and from Kathy about how Jesus is speaking to his disciples and I think to us as well about how this isn't a popular, it's not, not gonna make us popular to be Jesus' disciples. We're being sent out among wolves as sheep and that Jesus didn't come to bring just peace and love and sweetness and light but also there is this kind of sword uh, metaphor so the context is sober but the tone is tender and so in this Jesus is um, speaking to his messiah his his disciples they're kind of overhearing what's happening in you know in Matthew 11 and 12 and they're coming to the realize the realization that this is just amazing um, who Jesus is. And I think that for us, we do have a temptation sometimes to maybe reduce Jesus, to make him more manageable. I mean, like he's just way too magnificent, like we were reading about today. I mean, there just is not enough of a way that we can begin to capture how magnificent he is. There isn't enough, you know, ink in the ocean to write, <laughs> to write it all out. Thank you. And so we it can be tempting to reduce Jesus to something that we understand and can control, to reduce him to a founder of a new religion, or even a really great teacher, or some kind of even doctrinal truth, like a means of our atonement of sin, or the second person of the Trinity. Out in the world, there, he's often portrayed as a good guy or even a cool guy, but, often, but we have to cope with the fact that he is who he says he is. So we're not invited to come to Jesus or to come to a new religion or adhere to a theological position here or even come to a nice community of believers like this one. We are invited to come to Jesus, the more, mag more magnificent that we can imagine. And I think of the prayer of Paul in Ephesians uh, 3, where he says that together all of us are required so that we have the strength, we, we 
He prays that we would have the strength to comprehend the breadth and depth and length and height of the love of Messiah Jesus, which surpasses knowledge. So that's the invitation to come to Jesus. And who comes? We also heard in Kathy's sermon, that this is an invitation to the little people. And maybe I could just show up uh, the, uh, another version. This is, oops, I'm missing something. Is there one with the Hawaiian? Oh, oh is the one with Hawaiian, the Hawaiian pigeon? Sorry, I think it didn't get in there, right? Okay. So I wanted to show you a, a, a beautiful version of, of uh, Jesus' prayer. And I'm, it's my, my current favorite version. It's uh, called The Jesus Book, and it's written in Hawaiian pidgin, which is kind of cool. So I'm going to read it to you, okay, in my Hawaiian pidgin way. So this is Jesus' prayer in song. He says, God, you my father, mahalo plenty. Thank you, is mahalo. Mahalo plenty, eh? Because you showed this kind of stuff to the kids, but hide them from the smart guys that know plenty. Yeah, you my father, and that's how you like them to happen. So he's saying, you've shown, I like the way that he says, you know, you've hidden this uh, from the, the wise and everybody, and you've shown it to the little people, to the little children. You've shown it to the, to the kids, that's us. Um, and we also, some of those guys that know plenty too, but we come as children. So I really like that. And uh, it's not, I'm not saying that we come with an anti-intellectual stance or without thinking or like parking our minds at the door when we come in here, but more with the curiosity of a beginner's mind, I would say, bringing our sincere doubts to the Lord, but met very much as desperate learners. The invitation is also to the weary and to the burdened. Um, I'm gonna read it from Hawaiian Pigeon too. Do I have that one? All you guys that stay work hard and carry heavy kind of stuff that make you come wore out. Come, come over here by me. I'm going to give you guys rest. So that's cute. And of course, it's anyway, I, I think it's, it sounds like it's just another language, but it's, it's funny when you read about it and people say, oh, now I understand that. So it's cool. So the weary. The reality of Jesus' audience is that he was often talking to people who were working poor, who were day laborers, who kind of liked work for the day's labor. It must have been exhausting. Isaiah 55, come those of you who labor for what does not satisfy. You know, we were made to work. That's our creation story. God gave us the privilege of work. But sin twisted that work. Sin made work labor or travail or travail, as we say in, in French. And so in our context, work can also be a place of great weariness. And I think about in our context, the working poor, people who are working at low wage, often are essential workers, as we learned in the COVID pandemic, who are working so hard that they can't get ahead. They can't take a course. They can't, they can't even think about what they need to do. They're just working one or two jobs to get by. I think about the unemployed, which is also a kind of pain from work. The underemployed, those who are working at, at jobs that they really don't like, but they don't have a choice. And I even think of the overworked, those of us who are working in 
professions or jobs that we adore, we love, they're filling us with a vocation, but they're so demanding and invasive that they never stop. So we come with all of that weariness from our life of work. It's also an invitation to the heavy burdened, to the heavy laden, to the burdened. And most commentators say that this refers quite specifically to the burden of religious observance or religious burden. The message said, come all of you who are burnt out on religion. So there is a kind of heaviness. And you know, I even think uh, in our own context here at Emmaus, how much work it has been taking for our trustees and everybody who's involved to open the doors 52 weeks a year and you know, make sure we've got the music team, the lay readers, preachers, all that stuff. And then that doesn't even consider the work behind the scenes of administration and, and prayer and caring for youth and so on. So sometimes it can be a burden. So we come with all of our burdens and weariness. And they, finally, I think that the, the invitation is to a community of apprentices. The you here is plural, you guys. As individuals, we do make decisions to apprentice to Jesus, but then we find ourselves in a, communi a community of apprentices. As we said in our creed, the communion of saints, the past, the present, and the universal church. It's so wonderful to see people visiting us today from other churches. And then, of course, there's our local group at Emmaus. We're in this together. Now, before I go on, I have to, uh, I have, to have a little interlude here that refers to an experience that I just had um, that taught me about my life in my community. I do apologize to those of you who are visiting here today, but I, I felt I needed to say this, so I'm going to say it. So on July 9th, I really felt that I um, felt led to address uh, Matthew. Am I, am I not talking loud enough? Matthew 11 and 12. <laughs> and this was very much in continuity with the courageous sermons that Dan and Kathy had preached previously that was kind of saying to us, you know, there's a cost to discipleship. But I actually regret a couple of remarks I made and I'm just gonna ask forgiveness of my community. So after stating that I felt led to preach on that, I then said that if you were uncomfortable with what I was preaching on to take it up with the Holy Spirit, and as soon as I said that, I felt this prick of conscience. I realized I was kind of using the Lord's name for vanity. But I didn't say anything. And I thought I could just get it over with asking forgiveness. But I actually realized I have to ask your forgiveness, my community. Because in saying that, I was essentially saying I had the definitive word of God. And if you had trouble with me, you had trouble with God. So that is absolutely wrong. We discern the Holy Spirit's leading for our community together. I really want to affirm that. So please forgive me and bear with me as I am trying to learn to have the courage to repent and rephrase immediately as soon as I feel that prick. My second regret is that I indulged in anger when I was speaking about how we can reduce Jesus to theology and especially how we often use our, our doctrinal differences to judge who's in, who's out, and to separate and divide. I thought I had worked through that anger arriving at, an, at, at sadness, but I did have a little bit of vestige of anger and I allowed myself to indulge in a pointed remark. And I made a pointed remark about division in our community and that pointed remark was actually heard as the blunt sword of judgment by some people, which was not what I intended. And in fact, the people 
who heard it weren't the people I intended it for. Oh, it's so stupid. But anyway, thankfully, some of my beloved brothers and sisters in this community came and talked to me about it and said that was not right. And they gave me the opportunity to repent and to clarify my intent. But I do have to ask you forgiveness as well, because I'm assuming more people than just those people were offended. So if you know somebody was offended by that, just tell them I'm, I'm willing to be, I'm let, letting this go. And the ironic thing about it was that I had been meditating on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, where Jesus says, the Torah says this, but I say that kind of stuff. So the Torah says, you know, don't murder. Well, that's like every human convention says don't murder. That's pretty obvious. But Jesus says, don't even nurse anger. When you nurse anger and it comes out in that careless, denigrating, condemning word, that's worthy of judgment. That's what I did. So I'm really sorry about that. So this has been my little um, foray to say that I'm learning that I'm an apprentice in community. As apprentices, we're in this together. I don't know if that one showed up either. There we go. So we are in this together. And it's also, I have to also say that carrying these loads in a community makes it easy. And learning about how to do the way of Jesus in community is an easy yoke because we'll always have anger and offense, but we need to find out from Jesus how to react quickly to it, let it go, and know when our anger needs to be acted on and when not. So I'm very grateful for this community. Just before we go on, can I just stop and pray and put a close to that one? Lord Jesus, give us such a love for you and for each other that we can love beyond differences in opinion or theological positions. Grant us the courage to deal quickly with perceived offenses in the spirit of humility and forgiveness. Please direct our hearts to walk in your way. Amen. That was not. I apologize to those visitors, I really do, anyway. So the offer is an offer of rest. Now, this is different than our notion of rest right now in our cultural context, which we think of the vacation, the, you know, the good mattress, the all, all paid uh, club med kind of thing. We think of ourselves as needing to escape to have rest from work. But in fact, it's not an invitation to uh, vacation or distraction or even entertainment. Um, the message said it's, it's to recover our life, to learn the unforced rhythms of grace. It is the rest within work. So we learn from Jesus. Jesus, as we learn from him, we see that he had a rhythm of work and rest. And his rhythm of work and rest involved observance of the Sabbath. 24 hours and every 168 hours. We see him engaging in solitude and silence, getting away by himself to be with his father, especially before big decisions, but it was probably a thing he did all the time. We see him resting from the work of digestion by fasting. 
sometimes huge ones like the 40-day one, but probably regularly, even though that wasn't, they didn't say that he did it every Thursday. We also see a rhythm of feasting, feasting and celebration. So this is the rhythm of Jesus in the work and the fast. Especially for uh, Sabbath and solitude and silence, and maybe fasting too, it's amazing to me that if Jesus, the Son of God, though fully human, needed to do this, why don't we think we need to? So I think it's counterintuitive. The other offer is that it's the easy yoke. So it's counterintuitive that Jesus is offering a means for rest as an instrument of work. So a yoke is a structure that a wooden, literally a wooden structure that distributes the weight of a load over the shoulders so that one can pull a heavier load. And um, I mean, it's used figuratively in various ways, but sometimes as a yoke of oppression, something that is imposed. But when we take on a yoke to help us work, then it is something that actually makes the load lighter. And usually the image that we see is the yoke of uh, for oxen, where two oxen are put together and they carry this and the load is distributed on their back. But there's also human yokes. And that's what I am thinking of today, is that we take on the yoke of Jesus and you can sort of see how the yoke fits around the neck, right? And I like to think of Jesus being a carpenter and designing yokes for people that really fit. Having a poorly fitting yoke is the worst because you're expected to be able to carry more, but you can't because it doesn't fit well. And so I want to think today of our of yokes being any system or device that we use to help us work better. And I want to just make the case that we all use yokes. And in fact, our whole work cycle sometimes these days are made up of things that, that were allow us to carry further burdens and heavy burdens like the computer and our little devices, all these sorts of things. But sometimes they can chaff and they can get in the way. So the question isn't whose yoke, what should I carry a yoke? The question is whose yoke should I carry? And today I want to say that we want to carry the yoke of Jesus. The yoke of Jesus is his set of teachings and his way of living life. His set of teachings, I think, especially crystallized in the Sermon on the Mount, but also in all the Gospels and, and in the communion of saints, I think. And then the yoke of Jesus is Jesus' way of doing things, that rhythm of work and, and uh, rest that he had. So when we take the yoke of Jesus, it's like we're saying, oh, you know what? I give up. My way's not working. This is too heavy. I can't carry this alone. I need to carry it differently. And my sense is that to surrender to somebody that we trust is to rest. Already just that decision to make that, that yoke is to bring us rest. So I think that taking the yoke of Jesus is to bring our will and practices under his teaching and way of living life. Very specifically for me, this has meant the rest that comes from not allowing anger to fester into judgment, but recognizing the sorrow and fear beneath that anger. Experiencing the rest of Sabbath and solitude, and also experiencing the relief I feel that I carry this in my community. The yoke of Jesus has been practiced in Christian communities for millennia now, known as often spiritual disciplines or rules of life. And there is a reawakening in the interest of our spiritual disciplines and ways of doing things, learning from the communion of the saints. And so I wanted to introduce you to a, um, something called, did I get that right? Yes, it's a practicing the way. 
And this is a work done by John Mark Comer. I don't know if anybody that means anything to anybody, but it is an online kind of community and resources that are available for in it together type of the experience of practicing the way of Jesus. And there are four week cycles in which we get together and we, we learn about a particular um, practice like Sabbath, actually practice it, play together and practice how does it work, come back and reflect on it in order to try to integrate these into our lives. So I'm really hoping that this is something that we might be able to do together. And so my invitation to our community and maybe anybody here or listening is can we practice together the way of Jesus? Can we get together to learn the unforced rhythms of grace? Can we just play and pray together, make it fun as we try to figure out what fits in the way of Jesus? Practice the practices of Sabbath, solitude, silence, fasting, feasting, meditation on scripture. Let's try to find real rest as we enter into the fall schedule. Let's walk together and work together as we follow Jesus. He won't lay anything ill-fitting on us. Lord God, I pray that you would speak your word to every heart what is needed to hear. Lord, help us to work with one another in deep love and community in our little community and in every community that is um, represented here and that we're aware of in the worldwide church. Thank you for the privilege of being able to be your apprentices. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.